So two weeks ago, we looked at um, how Jesus died for our sins and was buried, but how Jesus rose from the grave and he took on our sin. So now we no longer have to live in our brokenness, that we can have new life in Jesus with his resurrected power. So last week, Doug talked about kind of the implications of that, of how now these communities of Jesus followers are now forming called the church, right? The church is these communities of Jesus followers and how the church, these communities of Jesus followers are operating at its best when we connect loving God with loving people, right? This is what Doug talked about last week is that the church is operating at its best whenever we connect loving God with loving people. So uh, back in Texas, uh, I was part of a church. I was on staff at a church and um, I attempted to love God and love people. Attempted. Attempted, right? I attempted. So I was asked, and the, how I attempted was I was asked to lead a, a summer college Bible study, right? So the, at the, my previous church, um, the, the group's pastor said, hey, Isaac, would you consider leading a summer college Bible study? So I thought about it, and I was like, ah, I don't know. It's like every Wednesday evening for a whole summer. I don't know. But eventually I thought, you know what? Let's do it, because I can teach those college students everything I know, because I'm such a good teacher, right? So we're going to go deep into theology. We're going to go deep into God's Word. We're going to look at really high-level concepts. So we kicked off the summer, and it actually overall went pretty well, right? We looked at, um, like, the philosophical approach on what truth is, exactly what college students seem to know. Uh, We looked at um, kind of the Trinitarian nature of God. Uh, We looked at this idea of soteriology, the study of salvation. We looked at ecclesiology, the study of the church. I have no idea how much they retained, but it it was a good summer overall. So it went for 10 weeks. Um, the last week, it was pretty much the same consistent group, like week in and week out. Um, the last week, we're about five or 10 minutes in uh, to the Bible study, and we met there on the church campus on Wednesday evenings, and this girl just appears in the doorway. And I thought, or I said to her, can I help you? And she said, she's carrying a thick KJV Bible. Um, yeah, is this the summer college Bible study? And I said, Oh, yeah, you know, like whenever people come over to your house and then you have to like, oh, and you're like scrambling to get the laundry out of the couch and like throw away the pizza boxes. It was basically that because we sat in the same spot every week. So now we're having to like get up, shuffle, you know, make make room for her to to sit down. Uh, So she comes in and we do our last study. Uh, It went really well. Um, Afterwards, we talked. Her name is Hannah. And Hannah just graduated um, from Oklahoma State University. Go, folks. Um, and she, uh, she studied cybersecurity, had just gotten a job in town at one of the big corporate headquarters, um, a, a job in um, IT. Right? So she had just moved in town, was trying to get plugged into a church. Um, so on, on the, how she found out about it was on a Sunday. Um, I forgot that we put it in the program on a Sunday. But even it being in the program all summer, we weren't really used to having guests show up. Right? So I was a little taken aback. Anyway, she loved it. It was great. So then she says, this is awesome. So you guys do this every week. And I said, no, this is the last week. I'm sorry. And after this, we have nothing for you. Oh, well. Right? So, because she was like, oh, she was, she was bombed, right? Understandably, she had a really good time. She wanted to get plugged into a group, to so this Bible study. Um, so, so then I said, and I, actually, I don't even know, like, there's other churches in town that may be better fit for you. I'm so sorry. We have nothing for you. Um, she said, nothing at all? And then I said, well, actually, there is another, like, young adult life group. But, man, I really don't think you're going to, that's a good fit for you. I don't think you're going to like them. They don't study the Bible. They don't go very deep. Um, I don't know if you're going to like it. And she's like, oh, okay. So she just, we exchanged numbers, and she walked away bummed. 
that night or the, the next week, uh, I thought, man, I really don't like that. I don't like that the church, we don't have anything for, uh, for young adults, right? Uh, so I go back to our group's pastor and I ask him, hey, would it be okay if I led a young adult um, Bible study, right? For people like college students, but also young professionals, like, could I do that? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So we kick off a fall, not college, but young adult Bible study, where we're going to go deep, verse by verse, through the book of Ephesians, right? And we're going to go just, like, unpack it and go really deep. So we kick it off, and so I, I text Hannah, I'm like, hey, we're actually, there is a group now, do you want to come? She's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so she comes the first week, and we go deep into chapter one of Ephesians, right? So we had about 12 people, and the next week, we had Eight people, and I was like, oh, those people are flaky. We don't want them anyway, right? <laughs> the next week, we had six people, and I'm like, okay, we're getting our core. No worries, no worries. Uh, the next week, we have five people, right? So then uh, we had this church event, and Hannah, who had been coming every week, um, she meets the girls from the other life group, right? And then they invite her into the life group. And then they have, like, girls' nights on Thursdays, and they're celebrating each other's birthday parties, right? So Hannah is, like, secretly going to life group on Monday and also coming to Bible study on Wednesday, right? So she does this for a few weeks until eventually um, she stops coming to Bible study on Wednesdays. So a couple weeks later, I see her on a Sunday morning at church, and I was like, hey, Hannah, like, you doing okay? Like, I haven't seen you at Bible study. And she said, yeah, Isaac, about that. Have you ever broken up with your small group? <laughs> she says, like, look, I love your Bible study, but I'm not in love with your Bible study, right? Look, it's, it's not you, it's me. Like, I just, I just see our groups going in different directions. Look, look, bud, look. Um, look, I hope we can stay friends, right? Like, I just, I really hope your group makes somebody happy one day, right? <laughs> So she's telling me, obviously, the conversation didn't go exactly like that. But that's what I heard. Uh, so so it, it caused me to reflect personally, though, because here's the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is that we started with 12 people, and now we have four. And one of the four just broke up with the group, right? Things are not going well, right? So it caused me to ask this question, why don't I have more influence, why don't I have more influence, right? Because here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, man, like, I'm such a good Bible teacher. Like, you just, you just have it, and people are just going to flock. I'm thinking about the bigger room that we need to move into because so many people are coming, right? I just think things are going to be amazing off the bat, and I'm realizing I don't have as much influence as I think I do, right? And I'm wondering if that's some of us here in this room also, right? You're, you you kind of notice your life, and you're wondering, like, man, why don't I have as much influence as I think I do, or why don't I have as much influence as I want, right? So maybe, like, you're planning a birthday party, and then you, your roommate comes because she lives there, right? Or maybe, uh, like, even here, here at the table, right, you just see those people that they just, it's hard to, like, get in because there's always, like, 15 people around them, and even, like, a line of people just, like, waiting to talk to them, right? What about, or even in, in your career, Right, so like you see uh, you, your coworkers keep getting promoted. You don't seem to have any influence with your boss, right? Or um, even like you're applying for jobs and you don't seem to have any influence with the hiring manager. Like, man, it's just, it's just frustrating, right? Or even, even in dating, you know this, ladies, you know this, that girl, she does the hair flip and the laugh, <laughs> and all the guys just, <laughs> just come, right? 
And dudes, you know this too, like we're the guy that just seems to have like all of, not just like some of the girls, like all of the girls' numbers, and you're looking at your phone and it's like mom, grandma, uh, like RoboCop, or sorry, a RoboCall, but at least it's an automated female voice, so you kind of feel good about that, right? So look, we, we all want influence, right? We all want people around us. We want people to like us, right? We all want influence. Why? Because influence is actually really important. It's an important thing. And as I'm saying that, I'm, I don't mean to like, if you feel like you don't have any influence, I don't want to like make you feel bad for the next 30 minutes. That's not, that's not what this is about, right? But here, here's the idea about influence is that nobody can have influence with everybody but everybody can have influence with somebody. Nobody can have influence with everybody, but everybody can have influence with somebody. What do I mean by that? I mean, look, you're not going to influence everybody. There are some people that you can influence, awesome. There are some people that you can't, it's okay. Your goal is not to try to influence everybody. The goal is to try to influence somebody. So here at the table, we want to influence you. We are, there's not a secret. We are actively trying to influence you. And the way that we are trying to influence you is we want to deepen your belief in Jesus, right? That's, that's why we gather every Tuesday is because we want to influence you to deepen your belief in Jesus. We want to influence people to follow Jesus. Another way to say it is we want to help people follow Jesus. We want to help young adults follow Jesus. And we want you to help young adults follow Jesus. We want you to interact with your friends and help them follow Jesus. That's why we gather every Tuesday. That's why we have life groups. That's why we serve the city. The whole goal is to try to help people, influence people to deepen their belief in Jesus, to follow Jesus. So this idea of influencing people to believe in Jesus, we call this ministry. So here's a helpful chart for what what is ministry. Okay, so what is ministry? Ministry is helping people take steps towards Jesus, right? Ministry is helping people believe in Jesus, take steps, take action steps towards Jesus. Um, But the way that God looks at us is really in only two categories. We're either believers or we're non-believers. Or said another way, we're either Christians or we're non-Christians, right? So regardless of where you are, a Christian or a non-Christian, a believer or a non-believer, we're all trying to move toward Jesus. However, the distinction is important because that thicker line in the middle that separates unbeliever from believer, that's the moment of conversion. Conversion happens in an instant. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're a believer or you're not. There is no one between. It's like a light switch. The light is either on or it's off. There's no middle, right? But although conversion is in an instant, sanctification or growing in holiness or taking steps towards Jesus, that's a process, right? So only God can help, only God can empower people to take a step towards Jesus, but we can help partner with God as he's guiding them and growing them to become more like Jesus. So what we call that is influencing people to believe in Jesus. We call that ministry. And ministry happens face-to-face, right, as you meet with people to help them deepen their belief to follow Jesus. So here at the table, we want to help you do ministry. And probably the best person at ministry, no shocker, was Jesus. He was the best person at ministry, right? The second best person, I would argue, was this guy that actually um, the, uh, Luke writes in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Acts, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is we're going to look at what I would argue is the second best person at ministry. And we're going to look at this guy named Saul. 
Now, the story of Saul was that he was a, a Jewish Pharisee. He was a religious leader, and he actually actively hated Jesus' followers. He hated Christians, and he was doing everything in his power, not for ministry, but to prevent people from following Jesus. That was what Paul's life was about. So while Paul was on his way to stop people from following Jesus, Jesus shows up um, as a bright light. He knocks Saul to his feet, and then he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Long story short, Saul becomes a Christian. Now, You may have heard it said, Saul became a Christian and became Paul. Have you heard that? Okay, not true. Here's what happened. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. So uh, Saul, Paul, contextualizes it. When he's doing ministry to Jewish people, he's going to use his Hebrew name of Saul. When he's doing ministry to Greek people, he uses his Greek name of Paul. And we see this even after the conversion of Saul. Saul still happens while he's doing ministry in a Jewish context. He's still using his Jewish name. It's not until he goes from a Jewish context to a multicultural, um, international, Gentile context where he starts using his name of Paul, right? So we're going to look at uh, uh, Acts chapter 16. Um, So Paul um, he, to, to set the context, Paul is traveling with his buddy named Barnabas, and they go, they establish a community of Jesus followers in Antioch, and in Antioch, it becomes the first multi-ethnic community of Jesus followers. The first international church is there in Antioch. And also, that's in, at, at Antioch, it was whenever uh, people, communities of Jesus followers, church people, um, start calling themselves Christians, right? That, that happens there at Antioch. So from Antioch, Paul went and was sent, and he started multiple communities of Jesus followers. So Paul's life, whereas before his life was preventing people from believing in Jesus, now Paul's life was sold out and wholly dedicated to helping people deepen their belief in Jesus. Paul's life was about ministry. That's how Paul thought through the world. So in in Acts chapter 16, like in verse 6, Paul's trying to do ministry. He's trying to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he's a little confused on where to go. He doesn't know where to go. So because he had just come from the east, so Antioch's in the east. He's trying to go west. So he's moving uh, west. So he can't go back east because that's where he just came from. He can't go south because there's water. Uh, he tried to go west into Asia Minor, which is western Turkey. He tried to go into there to start churches. But God said, no. We see this earlier in Acts chapter 16. So if you can't go east and you can't go south, and you can't go west, the only way to go is north. We good? North, we good? <laughs> go north. That's right. So Paul tries to go north. So he, he, he actually ends up in a town north, and then he wants to keep going north, and God says no. Now what is Paul to do? He can't go east. He just came from there. He can't go south. There's water. He can't go west. God said no. He can't go north. God said no. So what would you do? You would crample on your knees. You're like, why does God hate me? God is not guiding me. God keeps telling me no. I'm so frustrated, right? God closes every door. But what does Paul do? Paul just says, okay. He's not going to go against God. He's not going to go west. He's not going to go north. He's not going to go east. He's not going to go south. He finds this little sliver right around Asia Minor, right along the coast, and he keeps taking steps right? Because that's Paul. He, he keeps moving forward for the gospel. And eventually, in Paul's obedience, he ends up in this place called Troas. And in Troas, that's where the Lord speaks to him and gives him a vision on where to go next. And the vision um, that the Lord gave to Paul was to go to Europe, or as it says in the text, to go to Macedonia, right? So Macedonia is basically Greece. Um, it's Europe. 
So, um, so we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 11, sorry, Acts chapter 16, verse 11, after the Lord had given Paul a vision uh, to go from Troas to Europe or Macedonia. So we're going to look at the story in Acts chapter 16. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Symethrace, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. So we're going to pause right there just for a second. Um, so Philippi, actually, it has a lot of similarities to Orlando. How, how does Philippi have a lot of similarities to Orlando? Philippi was a regional hub in Macedonia, right? I just said there, it was a leading city. It, the same way that Orlando is a, is a regional hub for all of Central Florida. There's a lot of similarities. Philippi, there was business there. There was technological advancements. There was like cultural progress. Um, there was a lot of kind of vague spirituality, but nobody really read the Bible and nobody really believed in Jesus. Sound like Orlando, right? So, like, in Orlando, right, because we have education from UCF, Rollins, Valencia, Florida Technical. Uh, we have the hospitality, medicine, engineering. I sound like a buddy, buddy Dyer, right, when you come back from the airport, on what all Orlando has to offer. Like, there's art, there's music, lots of spirituality, but little belief in Jesus, right? But for the first time, for the first time in the history of the world, the gospel is moving from Jerusalem, that's where, where Jesus resurrected, kind of the, the birthplace of Christianity, to Judea and Samaria, the surrounding regions, and eventually to the ends of the world, which, gonna, which is going to start in Europe, right? So the gospel gets to Europe. So the, this, the last part of verse 12, he says this. So they get to Macedonia, and we remained in the city some days, right? When they got to Philippi, when they got to Philippi, we remained in the city some days. Why? Why did Paul remain in the city some days? Because Paul, Paul's normal ministry strategy was to wait until Saturday. Why? Because Paul's uh, primary strategy for ministry was to go to the Jewish synagogue. And whenever Paul would go to the Jewish synagogue, he had street cred because he was a Pharisee. So they would listen to him. So Paul's whole ministry strategy, for the most part, was to go to the Jews, preach the gospel, convert them to Christianity, and then use the Jews to help them reach the Gentiles. That was his whole strategy. That worked a lot. It wasn't like that in Philippi. Why? Because there was no Jews there, or there was very little Jews. There was not a synagogue. Because in order for there to be a synagogue, there had to be 10 Jewish men to lead the synagogue. And this is important, because there was not 10 Jewish men. Actually, there was no men, initially, that we, that we read. There's actually really awesome women. So let's, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. So and on, on 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together, right? So Paul, he adapted his strategy. He's like, hey, I'm going to look for the synagogue. Okay, there's no synagogue. Cool. Let me go by the river because uh, it was custom in Jewish practice to do like ceremonial cleansing, right, and some sort of prayer gathering. So he goes, and sure enough, there's like this like vibrant women's ministry going on with these really awesome prayer warriors, these women that are just praying and praying and praying, right? And here Paul shows up, and he interacts with this prayer group, right? And this is, this is crazy during this time that Paul would even fathom, would even fathom considering partnering with women for ministry. Why? Because at this time, women were basically slaves, a woman, could, a woman could not, like, think independently outside of her husband. She was not free to do things outside of her husband. She could not choose her own faith outside of her husband or outside of her father or some man in her life. So the thought of Paul 
interacting and doing ministry with women was, was unheard of. Actually, you know what most Jewish men would pray? Do you know this? Jewish men would pray this. They would say, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's what Jewish men would pray. But Paul, man, Paul loves women. He loves partnering with, he loves partnering with women in ministry. So this is, this is what Paul says. He says that, um, he, and so the, his letter to the Galatian church, he says that, look, in Christ, he like combats that prayer with this. He says, look, in Christ, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, and there is neither man nor woman. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's belief, right? So he's completely um, kind of um, uh, upending society like on its head by like actively and willingly partnering with women um, in ministry, right? So a woman, it, Christianity is the only faith, right? A woman could believe and follow Jesus independent of her husband's desires, and this happened a lot, where, where Paul would come in, the gospel would go forth, these women are getting saved, right? And then they're just, they're following Jesus completely independent of what the, her husband or what the man in their life wanted. This is happening so much that the Peter has to write about this on what to do. It's basically like this, like how-to guide, what to do if you become a Christian and your husband does not, right? He literally writes this, where uh, Peter says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. To summarize that, he basically says, look, wives, look, if you become a Christian and your husband does not, be respectful, be pure in your action, and pray, and ask the Spirit just to lead them and guide them, right? So there's literally a how-to guide on what to do when this happens. For the first time, here was a faith where a woman could be free, where women could be equal with men, and follow Jesus without consulting a man. This is the first time in the history of the world, the first faith where this, is, where this happens, right? So the gospel is about to go forth with a bunch of women because the gospel has been going forth with women for a very long time, right? So like who were the first people to witness the resurrection of Jesus? It's two women, right? And we see throughout the New Testament that, that God uses women and men for his gospel to go forth, right? In Christ Jesus, we are all one. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither Gentile nor Jew. There is neither man nor woman, right? God is going to push his gospel, the good news, forth using women and men, right? So we look at verse 14, and we look at one of these women. Um, the one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, Right? And Lydia was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. I'll, I'll stop there. So, so Thyatira, uh, Thyatira actually had a synagogue there. And Thyatira was known for a textile industry, for selling really expensive uh, purple clothes. So the way that we know that clothes are expensive now is like we have like a Gucci logo or Versace or insert your favorite brand. Right? So the way back then that they would know expensive clothing was by the color. So, so Thyatira was known for having expensive clothes. So here is Lydia, who is a seller of purple goods, meaning she's this, like, successful businesswoman who's, who's operating this, like, really awesome business, um, but she's also an entrepreneur. So she's from Thyatira, but now she goes to Philippi, presumably to expand her business, right? This, Lydia's awesome. She's this awesome businesswoman. Right? And she was also a worshiper of God, meaning she was Jewish, which is why she was there, presumably with the other Jewish women by the river, praying, right, and doing the, the Jewish ceremonial cleansing. 
So then it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Right? The Lord opened her heart. Right? This is what we talked about in, in ministry, is that we can't help people take, we can't force people to take steps. Only God can open up hearts. Only God can raise people from death to life. Only God can help lost people be found. Only God can help blind people see. Only God can do that. Right? And this is what Paul is, or Luke is saying, is that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So Paul was faithful in preaching the gospel to Lydia, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart to be receptive to what was said by Paul. Paul couldn't force Lydia to open her heart. Lydia couldn't force Lydia to open her heart. Only the Lord could open Lydia's heart, right? So now Lydia is considered, so now Lydia's a Christian. Lydia is a Jesus follower. Lydia is considered the first European convert, right? So we can see how the church is moving. What started as a mostly Jerusalem-based Jewish community is now becoming like this multi-ethnic international uh, movement, right, of Jesus followers. This is how the church is going forth. So we get to verse 15, and she said, and it says, After she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, some of you may understand this, and some of you may not, and I think it's the Latinos that understand this first. Because to think of your grandmother, right? She is so persistent. Like, you're going to come over. You're going to stay. Here, eat, 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 eat. Here, you need more food. You're too skinny. More food, more food, more food. Here you go. Here's food to go. Right? This happens a lot in, in some, some other cultures as well, and maybe your grandmother is like this. My grandmother definitely is. Right? So it says that she prevailed upon us. Maybe your Bible says she persuaded. She urged us until we agreed. She constrained us. Right? Lydia was very active and very persistent in saying, look, no, you're going to come over. You're going to stay with me. I'm not taking no for an answer. You know those women? Like, I'm not taking no for an answer, but like in a really good way because they love you? Like, that, that was Lydia. She's like, you're going to stay with me. Come to my house and stay. So look what's Lydia's first act as a new Christian. What is Lydia's first act as a new Christian? Hospitality. Lydia's first act as a brand new Christian is hospitality. Right? So then Lydia kind of stays over here. So Paul, the rest of Acts 16, um, Paul and Silas, um, they, they heal a demon-possessed girl and then get arrested for it, get put in prison. Uh, this miracle happens to where their shackles break and fall off. Right? Maybe you sang the song about Paul and Silas if you went to VBS growing up. Um, their shackles come off. Um, the jailer is about to kill himself because he thought that he lost the prisoners. But they were like, no, 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 it's cool, bro. Like, we're still here. Don't kill yourself. Um, they get saved. They start following Jesus. Uh, the Jailer's household starts following Jesus and gets baptized. So then Paul and Silas, they leave jail, and where do they go? Back to Lydia's house, because there's a church plant that happened at Lydia's house, right? So during this entire time of this shenanigans of like Paul and Silas getting arrested and then being, being free, Lydia is using her hospitality to start a church. She, she hosts a church, a church plant at her house. Right? This is incredible. So look at, look at what's happening right now. All right, so uh, Acts 1640. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So this entire time, Lydia is hosting a church plant, a.k.a. Lydia gets saved, starts doing ministry. Right? Lydia gets saved and starts doing ministry. And God is ordaining all of this. Let me recap. Right? I, I talked a lot of information. Let me recap. So Paul becomes a Christian. Paul wants to do ministry. 
Paul is confused on where to go. God, he just goes to Troas. God tells him to go to Europe. Paul goes to Europe. In Europe, Paul can't find any uh, Jewish synagogue, so he goes to the, to the woman's prayer group. Uh, from there, Lydia gets saved. A church gets planted. Boom. Gospel goes forth. God orchestrating all of that. God ordained ministry to happen to a hospitable woman. Here's the big idea. Hospitality is step one of ministry. Hospitality is step one of ministry, right? This amazing ministry gets done in Philippi. We actually have an entire book of the Bible called Philippians that's written uh, to this church plant that's lent to Lydia's church that's happening in her home. Uh, if you or any athlete, you see this verse on the locker room wall, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as you're trying to get that last rep, right? Right, that's, that's the letter that Paul wrote to this Philippian church, right? That's the book of Philippians, right? So hospitality is step one of ministry. To be a Christian means to do ministry. If you consider yourself to be a Jesus follower, that means that you're doing ministry, right? We look at Lydia. This is exactly what she did. She started doing ministry immediately. Paul gets saved. Paul starts doing ministry immediately, to be a Christian, to be, believe in Jesus, means to help other people, influence people to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, right? So there's a, a pastor in D.C., Mark Dever, he has this quote where he says, look, if you call yourself a Christian and you're not helping people follow Jesus, I just don't know what you mean when you say Christian. To be a Christian means we do Ministry, right? That's, it's literally in the name. We're a disciple of Jesus, and as a disciple of Jesus, we also help people follow Jesus, right? That's, that's what we do as Christians. We do ministry, right? So the definition of hospitality, hospitality is step one of ministry, is literally this. The definition of hospitality is to love strangers, right? That's, the, that's what it means in the Greek, is to love strangers. So Peter, um, again, he expounds on this by saying, yes, strangers, and also show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So, so Paul says, love strangers, and Peter says, and also uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? The idea of hospitality is just to love people, to serve people, to love people with open hands, with open hearts, and with open homes. This is how Lydia is loving people. She's opening up her home and doing hospitality where ministry can happen, right? So hospitality is actually talked a lot about in the Bible, right? The, the hospitality is frequently mentioned throughout the Bible and especially the New Testament, right? So uh, Paul actually mentions hospitality as a qualification to be a pastor. Paul says, look, if you want to be a pastor, if you want to like lead Christians and lead communities of Jesus followers, you have to be hospitable. Right? But man, when was the last time that a pastor got disqualified because he wasn't hospitable? Right? It doesn't happen often, but it is right there in the text, is that hospitality is one of the qualifications to be a pastor. Why? Why does God care so much about hospitality? Why is hospitality so important? It's because at one time, we were strangers to God. We were outsiders to God, right? We were dead in our sin and our trespasses. We were strangers, but God is a hospitable God, and that God loved us even while we were strangers. Paul writes this in the book of Romans. He says that as we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Because we serve a hospitable God, right? So we love strangers, we love others, 
And that comes from remembering that we serve an incredibly hospitable God. So being hospitable to one another, being hospitable to strangers, being hospitable to people that we know, to our friends and to our family, being hospitable to our coworkers, this is the nature and character of God. So as we grow in our holiness, as we take steps in long obedience towards Jesus, it also means that we are hospitable just like Jesus. Hebrews says this, the author of Hebrews, he says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Right? He's saying, look, show hospitality to strangers, love strangers, because um, some of you have, have interacted with angels and you don't even know it. Right? There may be angels like here, I don't know, I haven't encountered one or asked, hey, are you an angel? Although that'd be like a weird pickup line, right? <laughs> hey, girl, thank you. No. Um, he said, hospitality is incredibly important. So look, God ordained ministry to a hospitable person, right? So God ordained all of this to Paul to go to Philippi to interact with Lydia. Lydia is a hospitable person. She becomes Jesus. The first thing that she does is to be hospitable, open up her home where ministry can happen. This church plant just blossoms. And the reason I like looking at Lydia is because stereotypically, stereotypically, uh, women just seem to be a little more hospitable than men. Can we agree? Meaning, meaning. Um, so look, let's say that somebody has a need and just like needs some care. Maybe they need some tissues. There's like 15 girls just, just like with Kleenex, just ready to go. Whereas guys, like they don't even know what's happening. They're like, whoa, whoa, what's, what, what's going on? Like I'm just so, just, just, I love you dudes. I love you. But at times, guys can just be very unaware to meeting the needs of others, to being hospitable, right? Stereotypically, not always, but stereotypically. So I went to a, uh, I'm going to drink water. I went to a life group one time, and um, when, when I walked in, um, I knew that there was going to be, um, I knew that there was going to be a new girl there, um, like, at, at this life group. So, um, so I walk in, and um, I was with somebody else, and um, so she, because we were, like, texting back and forth, like, hey, you're going to be at the life group, I'll be at that life group, like, I'll, I, can, I can host you, like, when I get there. So she gets there a little before I do, and I see her, and she's, like, sitting on a couch, kind of by herself. And there are kind of three other girls that are sitting on this other couch, like all talking to themselves. Like the host is like nowhere to be seen. And here is this new girl just like this, like on her phone. And I walked in and that like, no joke, that really upset me. Why? Because here is this life group. Life groups are supposed to be hospitable. And here is this life group not being hospitable to the stranger. And this is exactly uh, what God does not want because he wants us to love strangers. He wants us to love people. Man, so I'm wondering, man, is it possible that the reason that you don't have more influence than you want, or even is it possible that the reason you don't have more ministry influence is because you're not hospitable, right? I was not hospitable. We talked about my failed Bible study, right? I was not hospitable. I was like actively, this is not, this is a Bible study. This is not a life group. We're going to study the Bible. I was not hospitable. So I'm just wondering if the reason that you may not have more influence than you want is because we're not hospitable. You're not hospitable, right? Like, nobody's going to listen to you talk about the Bible if you're not hospitable, right? We even, like, this is, what, so hospitality is, like, one of the qualifications uh, for, for an overseer, for an elder, for a pastor, right? But, man, we, we praise pastors because they teach really well, right? And we like, oh, I learned so much. I grew so much in my knowledge. And yet, not leading the effort on loving people and loving strangers, right? This is why, like, I love, I love Doug, Doug is one of the most hospitable people that I know. 
right? So if you've ever, like, met with Doug or gone to his office, what's the first thing, if you have, you know this, what's the first thing he's going to do? Do you want hot tea? I don't have any coffee here, but do you want hot tea? He's going to serve you tea, and he's going to get to know you. He's going to hear your story. And if you've ever gone over to his house, again, he offers hot tea, but he also offers coffee. Does Doug drink coffee? No, but he makes coffee. Why? Because he loves his guests. So he's going to make coffee that he doesn't drink to love the people coming to his home. Like him and his wife, Natalie, they're like a ministry power duo, right? They frequently have people just like staying in their house that need a place to stay. If there's a long drive, they're like, hey, why don't you just come stay with us? Now, don't text Doug and try to get free rent. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying do that. But Doug just models what hospitality looks like. And that's exactly what we try to do here at the table from Doug's leadership and from me and from all of our hosts. Man, we just want to be, try to be as hospitable as we can. And we don't always get it right, but that's our aim is to try to be as hospitable as we can, to love strangers, to love our friends, to love our family. That's what we're trying to do. So here's how we respond with this question. Are you hospitable? As you look at your life, are you hospitable? And we're going to look at kind of five areas to help think through. I, I, I want to try to help you and equip you to think through how you might be able to be more hospitable and take on the heart of God in hospitality, right, as a first step in ministry, right? Remember, hospitality is step one of ministry. If you want to live a life of ministry, which means to be a Jesus follower, that's what we do, um, hospitality is going to be step one. So are you hospitable? So it's, it's on the screen here too. Uh, work. How might you able to be hospitable at work, or for some of you that are um, just in school, how might you be hospitable in class or at work? Do this. Um, invite your coworker to coffee, and if you can, pay for it, right? Invite your coworker to coffee, right? Why? Because um, the, um, the, the mass amount of people that come to a large Christian gathering is actually on the decline. Right? If you want to invite your friend to church, they may come, they may not come. Back in the 50s and 60s and 70s and a little bit of the 80s, like, people would just like, flock in droves. So that's why there was like, these big campaign evangelistic revivals. So you didn't have to evangelize. You didn't have to talk to your coworker about Jesus. Um, you just had to invite them to the big name that was coming in town, and people would just come because that's what people did. That's not like that anymore. Right? People are way less likely uh, to come uh, to a mass gathering. Right? So maybe you've invited your friends to come to the table. Maybe they come. Maybe they don't. But look, if they like you, they'll want to hang out with you. If they don't like you, don't worry about them. Right? Seriously. But if they like you, they'll want to hang out with you. And as you hang out with you, invite them to coffee. Invite them to your apartment, to your home. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to dinner. Invite them to hang out with you and your friends. This is how the gospel goes forth, is you interacting with your coworkers, uh, with your neighbors, and inviting them to coffee so that you might be able to help them deepen their belief in Jesus, whether they're a non-Christian or a Christian, right? Regardless of where they are, you can help them take steps towards Jesus by inviting them to coffee, hearing their story, and the Holy Spirit, you have resurrected resurrected power in Jesus, right? So the Holy Spirit is working through you to help them deepen their belief in Jesus, right? And what about this? Um, life groups. Some of you just need to host your life group, right? You're kind of itching. You're kind of thinking about it. You've met at Panera now like six times, and um, you're just thinking through like, man, could we like meet in a home? It's possible that God wants to use your home to host your life group. You like these people. You've gotten to know them a little bit. Seem, they seem nice. They seem cool. Um, but the, the scenario, like whenever you're kind of out, doesn't really, is not conducive to really good conversation. So what could it look like for you just to host it? 
right? And you're thinking, man, my apartment's not clean. I got to clean up all my dog hair. Like, I got to throw away, like, the pizza boxes. Gotta, now I have to do la- actually put up my laundry after I do it. Um, yes. What, would, what could it look like for you to host your life group? And maybe that's your next step on how you respond in hospitality, just to host it. Host your life group that you're already a part of. So right now, maybe you just need to stop listening and just text your life group leader, like, hey, this week it's going to be at my place. And they'll be like, okay, right? So may- maybe that's your next step on how you respond. Right? For some of you, we, I don't know if you know this, we have this thing on Tuesdays called the table, right? And here at the table, we have strangers coming in every single week. For some of you, this is your first week here, right? So it's possible for some of you that your next step to respond, to be more hospitable, is to serve at the table. There's the link right there. So look, some of you, look, we have these amazing people that we call hosts that love you. And every week they like give their life to serving you. They give their life to being hospitable. They give their life to setting up and tearing down. They give their life to throwing like this like epic rager like outside on the, the sidewalk every week, right, to help you find a seat like whenever the lights get dark. We, to help you like, get connected, to give you a magnet, right? to help with after parties, um, to, to help with other things that we have going on, throwing lake days. Look, we have these amazing group of people that we call table hosts. And it's possible that your next step to believe in Jesus, your next step in ministry is to be hospitable, to, be, to fill out an application until we can have a conversation to see if serving at the table could be your next step to be more hospitable, right? Now, for some... All right, we're going, we're going to the big leagues now with these next couple. For some, the next step in your hospitality is to plant a church. Right? The next step in your hospitality is to plant a church. We can look at Paul. We can look at Lydia. That was Lydia's next step in hospitality. She helped plant a church. So it's possible that some of us in this room right now, through the Holy Spirit right now, is putting on your heart to start a conversation of what could it look like to go plant a church somewhere, to an unreached people group, where could it look like here in North America, to a a very unchurched city. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Orlando is one of the most unchurched cities. I think I may have mentioned that earlier. Orlando is like number nine, um, a de-church city, meaning people that used to go to church and then don't anymore. Number nine of that happening, people not going to church anymore. And number six, unchurched city in the nation. Uh, San Francisco is number one on both lists. Orlando is number six of people that don't go to church, that don't have a relationship with Jesus. So planning a church could look like man, stepping into church leadership here in Orlando. It could look at stepping into church leadership somewhere else. Man, your next step in hospitality could be starting a conversation on what planning a church could look like for you. And the last one, for some of you, international missions. Like Paul, Paul's from Jerusalem, right? Uh, or started, did ministry in Jerusalem, and then went to Antioch, and then from Antioch was sent to the ends of the earth where now he's doing ministry in Europe, right? And you're like, I'll do ministry in Europe. Sign me up, <laughs> right? So it's possible that your next step is to start a conversation on what international missions could look like as your next step in hospitality to have the heart of God. I was talking with a friend earlier who's like filling out an IMB international mission board application right now um, as he's considering going overseas for missions. And that could be you too, right? So friends, what could hospitality look like in your life? What would happen if the table was known for being the most hospitable place in Orlando on Tuesday nights? That includes Disney. And Universal, and Fun Spot, and SeaWorld. <laughs> what in Gatorland? What could? <laughs> what 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 would it look like if the table was known on Tuesday nights 
for being the most hospitable place in Orlando on a Tuesday? And not only, I'm not stopping there. What if you were known as being the most hospitable person that somebody in your circle knew? I think that can happen. I really do. I believe that can happen. For, for the table, for you to be known as incredibly hospitable, to love strangers, to love your friends, to love your Christian brothers and sisters, to open up your heart, open up your home, to love people and to serve people. I really believe that can happen. Let's pray.